Lord Have Mercy is brought to you by Fernwood Press. Fernwood Press promotes poetry collections that speak to the human capacity of spiritual experience. Sign up to receive a poem delivered to your inbox each morning. Fernwood Press promotes poetry collections that speak to the human capacity for spiritual experience. Find them online at fernwoodpress.com and follow them on Instagram. You are listening to Lord Have Mercy, a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham. Today's guest is Danny Prada, pastor of the Heartway Church. Danny has served in a multitude of ministerial capacities over the years, including several pastoral and chaplaincy positions in both megachurches and nonprofit organizations. Pastor Danny is also in the process of working towards his doctor of ministry at Fuller Theological Seminary. And now... Pastor Danny. What? I mean, we can just get started. Like, I'm just so curious. Yeah. What brought you to this, to, you know, wanting to pastor a church and creating a church? Oh, my. Well, I kind of like always knew since I was like 18, 19, which is when I really had um, somewhat of a conversion experience, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, but, but I don't know, I guess kind of when I was like, I think it was 24, 25, I had just graduated from seminary school with my MDiv and I just wanted to start teaching. And so during that time I was working at a mega church. I left the mega church to uh, start this job as a chaplain for the homeless, which is, uh, I'm still doing that till this day. Okay. And during that time, I really started to develop a passion for the needy and the marginalized and, and those who are addicted and homeless in our community. So I wanted to start a church that can cater to those needs and be focused on really making a difference in people's lives. So that's how we got started. I was just kind of like, I'm not doing anything. I can't really find a church that I connect with. So why don't we just start one? And what? it's weird. Go ahead. Yeah. And I was always like scared of that. I always thought I would be more of like a, you know, I would do like revitalizing work. I'd go into a, a church that's somewhat dying and, and kind of take the reins from there. I figured like my personality can work better in that kind of an environment. Um, and that was a big thing in the Southern Baptist Convention, which I was a part of. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I ended up just taking this route and, and it's been amazing. So we started as like a Bible study in my parents' house with eight people. And um, and now it's grown to what it is, which is really cool. So That's amazing. What my question was, what made what made you think that you would have a message for the homeless population? Well, you know, I working every day with them, it, it yeah. just kind of I don't even know if it's a message. It's more just like a presence that I became for them. I realized like a lot of the, 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 the messages I was told to speak to them were kind of falling on deaf ears because what really they needed um, in those times of desperation was, was just somebody to listen and, and to love them. You know, so so that's kind of really what we focus on is just kind of being the presence of, of Christ in the lives of those uh, who, who are needy. 
and uh, getting to actually know these people, like learning their names, you know, and and hearing their stories, and then going from there and seeing what 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 we can do. But but yeah, that's really what it is for us. That's dope. I also yeah. have an affinity for the homeless, uh, and while I haven't found the best way of expressing that here in Philly. Um, my go-to is to give to homeless people on the street <laughs> because yeah. like, I've never, I can't say I've ever been truly homeless, but I do know what it's like to not have, you know, when you just need money, yeah. you just yeah. need money. And it's yeah. like, you know what? I can't stare at somebody who's homeless and, and think, I don't know what you're going to do with this money. Maybe I shouldn't give you money. I'm just like, that is such a ridiculous argument you know i mean it and it's and it is uh pitiful to stare at somebody and try and and judge what they're gonna do with the dollar and it's like honestly it's none of your business your business is seeing their hurt on their face and their desperation and knowing that you have the ability to aid in that moment i'm like yeah but there, there there was this one time and like that you know how just you know it doesn't really matter what you look like as a woman, you know, guys are going to holler at you. Um, uh-huh. And I think many women here in Philadelphia just avoid gays as often as, as possible. And oh. um, uh, not too long ago, I was walking to work and I saw this dude who looked just uh, bedraggled. Like he looked like he had just like crawled out from uh, maybe a box. And I was actually walking under the bridge and um he seemed also very happy and I had my headphones in and I looked at him in the eye, which is something like you never do if you're a woman who doesn't want to get hollered at. I looked him in the eye and I smiled and like through my headphones, I heard him say, thank you. Thank you for seeing me. And he just kept going. And I was like, wow, just noticing people is is yep. just, it's right up there with giving yep. people money, you know? Yep. And, it, you know, yeah, and it's, it's not easy, though, you know, because people who who consistently work with the homeless will tell you, like, not everybody is appreciative and grateful. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've been out as a church, and we've given, we've given out stuff, and people have thrown it on the floor in front of us. You know, um, We've been cussed out by people. I have folks at my job who still sometimes are very disrespectful and stuff. So it's, you know, it's not easy. But when that that stuff kind of happens, when you're around that population enough, you know that it's just coming from a place of hurt and they're suffering and life is hard. And, you know, you can't even imagine what it's like to spend one day in their shoes. And so at least for me, that drives me into compassion towards them. Because, I mean, I can't imagine the kind of life that, that, that they have to uh, deal with on a daily basis. So, you know, it's not easy, but everybody needs love. So Amen. It's, never, it's never a bad thing to, to move in love and with love towards, towards other people. So. When I first started dating Emily, um, who then became my wife, you know, I was still very much stuck in my 
you know, um, fundamentalism and, you know, there is a certain role that the pastor's wife is supposed to play in church and in life. And as I tried to put her in that box, Uh she absolutely resisted because that's totally just her personality. She's a free spirit and she can't deal with being put in a cage. And it was actually very difficult for me to deal with that. But the longer we've been together and the more I've grown and evolved, seeing her be so free um, has kind of helped me realize just how much I myself have conformed to so many of the boxes that the church has wanted to put me in or other people have wanted to put me in because I am a quote unquote pastor. And so, yeah, I just feel like I have found this new kind of freedom to just be who I am and I love it. I guess that's that's amazing. And so I think I really want to take a moment and and focus on that because it's it's rare that you stumble across um pastors at least who have been in a fundamentalist space, especially, you know, straight cisgender dudes like you mm-hmm. uh who have matriculated into a more open and affirming space and usually it's like and I'm just I'm just talking from my experience of going to conservative universities and conservative churches. Like what I've seen is a, a a man will find a wife and they'll just lock that wife down and you know make sure that he is the head of everything and that his rule is the rule of law. And if, especially for the pastor, he's like, "Do you yep. play the piano? Do you do this? Do you do this? Do this?" So, like, what, how did how how what was your what was your journey in Becoming somebody who could, you know, accept people of all walks of life. Yeah, you know, for me, it was just, just like hearing people's stories. Yeah, and actually, important. yeah, and actually listening to folks who who are hurting and who are on the margins, and not coming with my judgments or my opinions, but just being there to listen, that really was a big shift for me. And part of what started happening, and and this was, it was a compound of things, you know, it started with the folks I work with on a daily basis um, at the homeless shelter. Then it started moving into a lot of the uh, LGBTQ folks who are just in my life and a part of our church community. Many of them hearing, are, yeah, know a yeah. lot about homelessness. Uh-huh. And, um, and then that also involved um, a lot of relationships that I started building with people of other faiths or even no faith at all. Yeah. And, and what I started realizing was that I didn't really have um, a theology that prioritized and gave value and importance to any of these kinds of people. And so I knew um, that there was a big issue with my belief system that was keeping me from actually giving the attention that I needed to as a Christian to to folks who are on the margins and folks who are experiencing oppression. And so, yeah, that was the start of it for me. I really had to start rethinking a whole lot of things. And thankfully, as I started listening to some other voices, and that's a big thing too, because I have a lot of friends who, because, you know, they didn't go to seminary, they don't know, you know, the, the large swath of 
of theologians who speak on every sort of issue and the large diversity of opinions that there are on every issue of theology and doctrine. And so as soon as they they think there's an issue between what they think and Christianity as it's been presented to them, they kind of just ditch Christianity in its entirety. Yeah. Thankfully for me, I it was a lot slower of a process for me. It was a lot more difficult for me to just say, I'm going to let go of it. Um, because I, I knew other people who were rethinking stuff and I, and I saw, I had their books and their podcasts. And so as I started listening to these folks, I'll never forget. I always, I always would, would listen to folks like, I don't know, like one of the first voices was Rob Bell. Um, another voice, someone like, you know, Richard Rohr. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, and I would listen to these folks and I was like, man, they speak with such an openness and such a freedom and such a love that, that has no boundaries. And I really want that. I really want that. But there's like a couple Bible verses (laughs) that Mm -hmm. are getting in the way of that. Or there's like this systematic theology that I was taught that doesn't leave room for this kind of a conversation. And so what I tell folks is that love was the great deconstructor of my faith. And when I started recognizing that there was so much about what I believed and how I was acting as a result of those beliefs that was not loving, that I, I, I either had to fix that, change that, or stop saying that I believe God is love and that love is the most important commandment for us as Christians. So that's really how it started for me. I just find that, you know, incredible because like you said, not many people make that leap. So many say, you know, I was brought up in the in this rigid way of experiencing life, black and white and predicated on uh uh Bible uh literacy. Um and then, you know, as soon as they experience the real world and that breaks apart, it just becomes such a yeah. problem. And it's like, well, I guess this thing, I guess this toy broke, so I'm going to move on. And yeah. what I what I see is that you know God ha- that God has to be a seed in your heart, and God actually has to be the main event uh, for you to be able to kind of like move away from the the rigidity of of uh you know religion and move into the practice of faith you know yes Yes. and i love what you just said about like well i forget exactly what how you just said it i wish i you could repeat it it (laughs) i'll re-record i'll replay it when i when i edit the podcast (laughs) okay well basically like what you just said about reality like a reality check you know, getting that reality check and it not matching up with like what you were taught or what you were told. Yeah. That was a big thing for me too, because my experience, my own experience, what I was seeing, what I was hearing, what I was doing didn't line up with so much of what I was taught. And I didn't feel like I was allowed to even go with my experience because I was told if there's ever a conflict between your experience and what the quote unquote word of God says, you've got to stick with the word of God. And so that mm-hmm. was my uh, uh, theological method, not knowing all along that what, how I interpret the word of God is just one way of doing that. You know, yeah. I at that time used to think, well, the way that I was told to read it is the way and the only way. And so if this my experience doesn't match up with that way, I've got to go with that way. And so a big thing for me was learning that there are so many, so many faithful Christians and theologians who say and believe that 
experience is a valid place from which to do theology. And so once that door opens up and you recognize that doing theology is not just a matter of quoting Bible verses and that it's a it's a it's an ongoing conversation between different sources of God's revelation, which includes scripture, but also includes things like the tradition, experience, reason. And when you bring all those together into conversation, then you know, you, you have a much better shot at uh, holding to beliefs that match up to reality, (laughs) you know? Yeah. But, but yeah, for a long time, I felt really bad. I felt bad about the exploration I was doing, the questions I was asking, the new opinions that were forming within me, because I thought I was being unfaithful. Because I mean, what you're faced with in that moment is just a lot of doubt, you know? And, you know, like the, uh, the name of your church, Heartway Church, mm-hmm. what you end up doing is is going deep inside and, and sorting it out with your heart. <laughs> you know? Right. Like how does this how does this level up? What's the litmus test for this? And it's always how does it make me feel? Does that does that measure up to how what I know love to be, you know? Um, and what is amazing to me is that for me, it always came back to the Bible. I was able to reconcile, um, my experiences and, uh, stories I found or gleaned from other people. I was always able to reconcile that back to the Bible that I grew up with, you know, Mm -hmm. as a child. And I guess my next question to you is how, how does the Bible still play uh, a role in your everyday life? Well, a major role for sure, but yeah. it's it's you know I would be lying to you if if I said that for the last couple of years it's been a love hate relationship. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and quite frankly, if I didn't have to preach from the Bible every week, you know I would have I would have definitely taken a long pause. Yeah. Uh, however, I do feel like at, at this stage that I'm at now, um, I've kind of moved into that second naivete that some teachers talk about in the sense that I can come to the text with with fresh eyes and with a new lens because I see it first and foremost as a collection of books that contain a whole lot of wisdom from our spiritual ancestors. And when I'm not bound by everything that they said, and I'm given the ability to use my critical thinking, uh, it actually becomes fun to dig through the book and mine out the treasures, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So, so I love, I do, I love, love the Bible. I just have a different relationship to it now. For me, the Bible now is, 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 is a starting place. It's where I begin my reflection. Um, the Bible for me is 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 a wonderful source of encouragement. Obviously, it's it's how I'm presented with with Jesus. But I think you know it's it's a it's a difficult book. It is, and it's got a lot of stuff in it that's really hard to deal with. And unless unless we're we're willing to ask those hard questions, you know, we may do more damage than good with that book. So. Amen to that.
This week's episode is also brought to you by Quaker Speak. Quaker Speak is a weekly video series that features interviews with modern day Quakers and seekers on a range of topics. They invite you to join them. They've created a playlist of videos they think progressive Christians might like. Visit them at quakerspeak.com slash our Bible app and subscribe to follow along. Visit quakerspeak.com slash our Bible app for more information. That's quakerspeak.com slash our dash Bible dash app. Yeah, you know, I actually read uh, something today. Someone put this up. They, uh, I don't know where it was on Twitter, or Instagram, when I saw it, but they said some. The difference between uh, me and a few other people is that some people use scripture to define what love is, but I use love to define what scripture is and what scripture means. Yeah, and that's a, that's a big difference. That's a in approach. So. That is the whole uh, way of um, understanding scripture and theology from from the perspective of our Bible app. Like the whole point is for people to theologize their personal experiences. And you did such a great job when you submitted um, your devotional on um, practicing uh, interfaith. Uh, mm. relationships and loving people across the aisle. Um, did did this did the, did that devotional come from the work that you were doing um, with the homeless population? Um, not so much from from that kind of work. I, I the interfaith stuff that I do sometimes crosses over into into homelessness when we'll do um, different service projects together with with other faith communities in the area. Um, but, but more so the, the interfaith stuff is, is, is its own thing, at least for, for me personally and, and for the church. And so a lot of that, that reflection that I did, um, has come from, uh, a lot of conversations and a lot of reading on the subject, uh, again, because as I wanted to continue to extend myself in love towards other people and, uh, put down and all of those boundaries that have been placed up by my religion, I, I realize like there's just a lot of stuff in the way keeping me from genuinely loving other folks. And it's funny because the, uh, you know, I, w- I went to Morocco a couple of years ago for uh, a multi-faith event that I was invited to. And that was my first time at something like this. And so I was having dinner with a group of rabbis, imams, and pastors. And it was our first night getting to know each other. And I had never been in a scenario like this, okay? And yeah. <laughs> one of the, we, you know, we were all like asking questions to one another and it was fun and all of a sudden, one of the one of the rabbis, he looks at me. He says, "All right, Danny, I have a question for you." Because I was asking that question, and he looked at me. He said, "And he said, do you think I'm going to hell?" Huh. And it was, oh my gosh, you know, leave it to the. And what's funny and ironic about that is, you know, the 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 rabbis, the the, the Jews don't really emphasize an afterlife in their yeah. religion. And so, so for him, it's just kind of funny. And he was, he was just messing with me. Yeah. Uh, but it was a good opportunity to share with him that not all Christians think the same way about that issue. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, we got to talk about that. But really, you know, having 
having friends from other faiths will will challenge you to the core and and really cause you to to look at all of those different teachings that we have and say is there is there anything here that that may be missing or could we be looking at this the wrong way because it's very hard for me to see how this muslim person who actually lives more like jesus than a lot of christians i know is going to end up burning forever in some pit that God yeah. sends people to. Yeah. You know, so it's just that kind of stuff that really gets you thinking. I find the interfaith discussion so fascinating. And, you know, I try to incorporate multiple faith perspectives uh, when finding devotionals for the Bible app. And, I mean, it is Christocentric in nature, but I find that I, I guess I have the sense that we are all, it doesn't matter who we call God or the way that we get there. I just feel like we are all dealing with the same thing in our everyday life, you know, trying to, it doesn't matter who you are, you're trying to be a good person. Um, you're trying to sort out uh, the traumas that have happened in your life. Um, you're trying to further yourself uh, as a human being and make, making sure that you have food to eat, um, and people to keep you company. Um, I just feel like the human experience is so similar that it's hard to imagine that we all have a different God, even though we, we call that God by a different name. Um, yeah. And I feel like, uh, it doesn't matter what end of the, uh, of the stream you get in, whether it's the, the shallow end, you know, where you call God, um, the universe or the deep end where you are wrapped up in uh in hermeneutical studies and exegesis and all that stuff um i feel like we're we're constantly going back and forth um trying to find our way um sure. so it's cool that you've been able to do that all every religion is simply a contextual response to ultimate reality mm. You know, and so the diff many of these different paths, of course, are going to look different and be different. And we need to honor those differences because everybody's context is different. OK, but but the reality that is being experienced and that is being spoken of is the same. There's only there's only one ultimate reality. There's only one God. You know, and so everybody is just hinting and pointing at that which is far beyond anybody's ability to fully comprehend. Amen to that. So I think it's very important for us to learn how to, you know, have conversations with people who believe differently than we do and not feel threatened by them because they believe differently than we do and to hopefully learn how to um, – not just tell those people what you think to be true, but allow them to do the same for you and maybe even learn something from them that can help complement and refine your own beliefs. Yeah. Because a lot of us, we haven't even, most of Christianity hasn't even gotten to the point of tolerating other religions. Yeah. So we, we gotta, we gotta start there. So much of what I say, I feel like it's just, it's just over too many people's heads because we're not even at that point where we want to tolerate and acknowledge the humanity of, of the Muslim and of the Jew, you know, we're just, yeah. so, so first we got to talk about tolerating 
But then once you get to that point of tolerating, which some Christians are there, then we got to say, listen, this is a very – that's not love. You yeah. gotta, we got to now move from tolerating to appreciating because then when you appreciate, that means you see value in it. And you don't think that that other religion or that other uh, practice is something that needs to be challenged or dismissed or, or that it needs to be debated or, or eliminated, but instead it needs to be integrated. Because unless it's integrated, we're going to be missing a part of the whole picture. And so that's a, 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 an attitude that I take in, in my interfaith dialogue that has been very helpful. And so many of my conversations with folks from different religions has actually helped to um, root me and ground me more in my Christian faith. But also it has helped me reformulate my faith in, um, in, in many ways as well. So it's just healthy. It's healthy to to have conversations and to expose yourself to people who see things differently than you. It's true. And I think, you know, faith and religion, I guess when, when you first really start delving into the Bible, it doesn't matter what age you are, you know, it, the it, immediate thing is to kind of white knuckle it, you know, <laughs> especially right. if you do fall in love with it. The easiest thing is to white knuckle it like it's the first time you've ridden a bike. But the mistake so many of us make is to think that that is the only way to, to ride a bike is to just grip it and try not to fall off, you know, and forgetting that we that, you know, the next part of riding a bike is to trust yourself, is to trust that you are going to be able to stay upright, maybe even take your hands off of the off of the, the steering wheel because you are just so relaxed and comfortable, you know, and you're able to feel some of that freedom. And I feel like as far as fundamentalism is concerned and like that super conservative way of addressing the Bible and religion, it's like there there isn't any room, you know, between your hands and the handlebars to experience, you know, the wind in your hair. And, you know, you're going down this road and it's like anything could happen, you know, and like that to me, like faith is supposed to be thrilling. Faith is supposed to be an adventure. Faith is supposed to be uh, trying uh, life experiences, life experiences, and and things be revealing themselves as new because you've experienced them as new. I mean, and I'm just so disappointed in the way that Christianity has evolved to like this this you know militaristic way of moving forward that has no that has very little um, uh, connection and. And and the and just like the, the it's not as organic as as it should be. Um, it's devastating, you know. And I think the clearest way for me to see that is in just the the way that church is performed. Um, I don't feel like there is room to to deviate from the the set path. What is a church service like at the Hartway Church? Oh, that's a, that's an interesting question because we're not we're not the typical community in any way. 
Uh, for starters, I come from the evangelical megachurch world. Okay, yeah. Yeah. That, you know, that, you look like you're for, you're on you're in a mega church in the pictures online. Yeah, like right. tell me the truth. Right. So so that's the world that I came from before before I started Heartway. And so that's really all I knew. So in terms of aesthetics and style, music, uh, our marketing, our, our persona, our culture, it does feel like your typical contemporary evangelical church. And I want to say something like I wasn't sure if I should reach out to you because of that. And I was like, I was like, oh, the message looks so good. But also I'm scared that what I'm going to get is right. another undercover mega church that just hates gay people and doesn't oh, believe in women in leadership and I has know. like a great band, but also it's just like drowning in all this, you know. I know. <laughs> so here's my thing. And I actually, this is actually the first time I'm talking about this with anyone. So I, these yeah. comments are unfiltered, and, but there, there is a lot, even though we don't like to say this, there is a lot that the evangelical community does right. And I think that a lot of the folks who go to these big churches are actually somewhat clueless in terms of like what the real beliefs are undergirding the whole yeah. thing. Mm -hmm. um, but they really are into the fact that it feels kind of like a rock concert. There's a drummer and an electric mm -hmm. guitar dude and somebody on the bass and, you know, and the stimulus. And the, yes. And, the, and there's a few lights and the singers are, you know, really into, into it. And the, and the preacher seems kind of, you know, hip and relatable. And in the lobby, when I walk in, everybody greets me and they have coffee. And yeah, something else that I got from, from the evangelical world that I love was, um, a lot of the emphasis on on leadership and 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 momentum and creating a healthy culture and developing teams so there's a bunch there's a lot of stuff that can be found within those evangelical communities that would actually be a really big help to more progressive folks who are trying to reach more people with the message. Mm -hmm. um, so I try and take the good and just leave behind all of the shallowness and, and the bad. Yeah. Uh, so with that being said, our packaging is mm -hmm. very much that way and unapologetically because we're reaching people that way that otherwise would not come if we were a more ritualistic liturgical high church kind mm -hmm. of community in many places uh, across our nation that works and people like us who are having those conversations are drawn more to tradition and they want to go back because they see how much uh modern day christianity has diverged and i love that i respect that and and personally speaking i would probably be one of those people yeah. you know um where that would help me connect more uh, however we are really reaching a demographic here in south florida um that 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 is used to this and that, and that is, and, and all this kind of style is appealing to them. And so, and so that's the approach we take in terms of method. However, um, the content behind all of that and within this packaging is very much an open-minded dialogue driven 
you know, I, I'm not big on labels, but if I had to use one, progressive-minded message. Yeah. You know, so so that's that's kind of it, it's it's cool because we do we do reach a lot of folks who are from evangelical backgrounds and more conservative kind of communities, and if they stick around with us after they see who we are, um, it, it's it's a really fun ride. You know, to kind of help walk them through their own deconstruction and reconstruction process. So mm. that's how it is. But, you know, our church, I, I tell people, you, uh, Heartway has somewhat of a progressive pastor. Mm. <laughs> but, but we don't necessarily call ourselves a progressive church. Okay. And there's an important reason for that because even though this may be very utopian – I do want our community to somewhat reflect what I think God desires for all of humanity, which is unity in diversity and diversity held together in unity. And so I don't want a church filled with people who just agree with me. I want to have a church with people who whether they're on the right side of the spectrum or the left spot side of the spectrum, still know how to transcend their own beliefs in love and yeah. to allow love to be the great unifier. And so it's happening. It really is happening somehow in our community. And so that's kind of the approach that we've been taking. Cheers to that. That was beautiful. I, I'm right there with you. I believe it. I believe that we can all exist and praise together. Yeah. And, At least you know, I want to, you know, that's yeah, very utopic. <laughs> for sure. It is. It is. But I, I don't, I don't think, you know, I, I don't even know how anybody has, could ever get to the point where they think the way that this world is going to change is by everybody agreeing with me on every issue. Yeah. Like, let's think about that. Even, even as people on the other side, like you and I, and everybody who checks out our Bible app, you know, do we really think, I mean, I would love if people adopted our approach and our practices and our method and our theology, because I think it's right. That's why I hold to it, right? Yeah. But ultimately, before we're conservative, before we're liberal, before we're progressive, before we're Christian, before we're Muslim, before we're anything, we're human. Yes. And that has to be the identity that holds us and binds us together. And human beings are going to disagree about stuff. And that's a good thing. That's a good mm. thing that we do that because it keeps us in check. Now what we need to learn how to do is learn how to hold our beliefs with an open hand instead of a closed fist. And learn how to hold our beliefs with confidence and conviction but not necessarily certainty. And so really I think the shift has to happen at an epistemological level. Not so much a theological level. The theology will come second, but the epistemology has to come first. How do you hold your belief? How do you know what you know? And then once we can come to some sort of a consensus that we're all looking at this from a limited and subjective perspective, we then have no choice but to acknowledge that other limited and subjective perspectives are also welcome at the table. I mean, I'll give you it there, like uh, messing with people's um, 
belief systems, like getting people to analyze and be introspective about their belief systems. Like that is, that is the biggest task, you know, in this lifetime, if we can get people to do that as, you know, and have that spread, I mean, that, that would be everything. I mean, forget any next steps, just, you know. And and honestly, part of that, you know what that has has looked like for me in this season, at least to the beginning of 2019. Yeah. It's, it's looked like me not arguing anymore about what I believe to be true. Ooh. Like at all, which means not even on Twitter. That <laughs> or is Facebook. hard. And, 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 and so what I'm trying to get into the habit of doing is I'm going to still say what I need to say. And I'm going to say it boldly, but I'm not going to air my opinion on every issue all the time. And if I do think some sort of a dialogue and conversation needs to happen, I'm going to have that with the people in my everyday life who I encounter face to face, who are actually going to listen and take seriously what I'm saying and who as a result of our conversation can actually change. So. Now, I know this is just me. I'm sure there are many other valid reasons, you know, for people to engage online and Twitter arguments. And I'm not, you know, putting that down in any way. I'm just saying for me, that's what that's looking like right now. Because when I start taking the bait, you know, I I start becoming somebody I don't want to be. I'm, I, I just want to win the argument. I get sarcastic. Then I get yeah. stressed out, you know, and, and what good does any of that conversation do? And plus, I've never heard of someone changing their mind as a result of an argument online. Never. No. Never <laughs> so I want to use my time and energy to do something that's going to be a lot more productive than that. And then hopefully people who are watching, people who are watching who maybe are holding on to some forms of belief that I think are harmful and regressive. If they, if, if they don't see me arguing and bickering and attacking, maybe they'll be a little bit more open to hearing what I have to say. Maybe, you know? Yeah. So that's, you know, that's something I'm trying to do, but it ain't easy. <laughs> it's not, sure. it's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah, and, it's, it's, it's but, tough. But it's but I think it's the right direction for sure. For sure, and that it's it's little by little, it's little by little, it's happening. <laughs> and, and honestly, I'm I've kind of gotten to a point where I I don't even feel I don't my identity is not wrapped up in my belief system anymore. Hmm. And you're not white knuckling it. Yeah. Exactly. You know, because and I I recognize I may be wrong. I recognize I may change my mind about a lot of this stuff. You know, I recognize that I am there is more to me as a human being than my belief system at any given time, which is always changing and fluctuating. So if I'm not my beliefs, who am I and what am I? You know, and once I started asking that question and I started just realizing that, like, all of my dignity and, and worth is found in the fact that I'm simply here. I'm alive. 
And this aliveness is something I share with everything and everyone all around me all the time, which means everything around me all the time has the same inherent value and dignity and worth. That changes everything. Now I don't have to cling anymore to the words as if they, they meant everything, as if the words were the point. I love how one theologian, Paul Nitter from Union Seminary, I think he borrowed this from the Buddhists, but he says oh. all of our beliefs are like fingers pointing to the moon. Don't, don't be the person who's just staring at the finger. What's the point of that? The finger <laughs> is trying to point you somewhere. Go look at the moon. Yeah. Enjoy the moon. The way I heard it recently, uh, this actually may be a uh, – I don't know where I got this from. It's a, it's a nice little parable. But basically the teacher was comparing religions and belief systems to, to like a raft. Mm. Okay, a raft that will get you like floating on water. He says, so the religions are kind of like a raft. Once you get across the river to the other side, you don't really need the raft anymore. Mm. You know what I mean? And so the way I'm interpreting that into my own you know, a uh, way of thinking is that ultimately what, what is the point of all of this? What is the point of, of our religion? Jesus, I like Jesus's words, which is love God and love people. Okay. So if, if life is a gift and love is the point, like one pastor, uh, Ryan Meek says, if love is the point, then the religion is only useful insofar as it gets you to that point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like all of the words that we have in scripture, all of our doctrines began with mystical experience. What we have done today is we have divorced the words of scripture and our doctrines from the experience. We've kept the words and we've dismissed the experience when the whole point of the words was to drive us into our own experience of the divine so that we can then continue to build on what was spoken before. Yeah. But that it, that's just not how we've been taught and that's not what we've been told. But, you know, I, I for me, that that is that approach just works, you know, and, and, and I wish more people would see how love is 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 the only answer love is the only answer Hmm. today's episode is brought to you by mission year as an organization they root themselves in the neighborhood you can become a part of the local community worship and serve alongside neighbors and live into being advocates for solidarity and justice with mission year you work to fall in love with jesus and the city to live and grow into your gifts and purpose to build beloved community across all dividing lines, and to advocate for justice in your neighborhood and world. Find out more and sign up online at missionyear.org slash program. Again, that's missionyear.org slash mission-year-program. I guess my, my last question that I really wanted to ask you, and you're talking about love being the only answer, but my my question has to do with um, sex and sexuality. And you've mm-hmm. done such an incredible job of re- reinventing yourself in the light of, of, uh, of epic change to the way you see the world around you and how it applies to scripture. Um, how have you evolved when it comes to sex and sexuality? 
Um, usually I ask my guests, um, you know, how does sex inform your spirituality and your faith? And that's because I think that we need to be having conversations outside of, you know, uh, purity culture. Um, mm. Things, mm. you know, things that seem to smother sex and sexuality versus liberate and lift up and, and allow people to become their truest selves. Um, mm. I, I automatically forgot my initial question. So <laughs> Yeah, but I think you were talking about like how how I have evolved in terms of sex and sexuality. Is yeah. that right? Yeah. That where you were Yeah, well I mean there's that's sex and sexuality is such a such a broad you know Yeah. Those are <laughs> but you mentioned you mentioned purity culture, so I'll mm. kinda go in that direction. For me, something Something that I've been learning is that sexuality is is not something human beings need to repress, mm-hmm. which unfortunately is the message that purity culture told all of us. Mm-hmm. If you have the thought, if you have that desire, if you have that attraction, it's bad, it's <laughs> evil, you've got to get rid of it. Until you're married. <laughs> Yeah, until you're married and then you're already so psychologically damaged that you don't even freaking want to have sex or you have problems having sex, which is a true story with some people. Yes. You know, um, so I've kind of just learned how to accept the fact that I am a sexual being mm. and that the sexual desires that I have are a part of what it means to be human. Yeah. And so I'm learning instead of repressing these desires, learning how to accept them and embrace them as a part of who I am. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And then as a result of doing that, I can I can begin to remove the guilt and the shame that has been uh placed on me as a result of the restrictions that were given to me in the realm of sexuality. And then I can start talking about, okay, what are some healthy ways I can express my sexuality? What are some unhealthy ways to express my sexuality? Because at the end of the day, I, I do think we still have to have some sort of boundaries, right? Like we all know if we just unwittingly give ourselves to all of our desires, it's going to lead to a lot of pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. So so we've got to have some sort of boundaries. But I don't like to talk about sexuality in terms of like, okay, this is correct and this is incorrect. This is right. This is wrong. This is what God says is good and this is what God says is sinful. For me, like I just mentioned, I want to move the conversation into healthy and unhealthy because that removes the guilt and the shame from it. And that helps me to realize like once I once I once I can finally accept the fact that listen, I'm a sexual being and there's nothing wrong with that and these desires are just a part of who I am and instead of shunning them and wishing I didn't have them, I need to learn how to integrate them into who I am. Now they actually lose their power over me because mm-hmm. what people don't realize is you actually will obsess over that which you repress, mm. which is why, think about it, church is the place where the most scandal has occurred, the Catholic yep. church. We just heard about the Southern Baptist Convention. We've, terrible. We're, we always hear every year there's another story about some sort of evangelical megachurch pastor who has fallen or whatever, you know, and then all that's a whole other mess we can get into later. But, I mean, <laughs> why is it that the people who are telling us how to do sex and live <laughs> sexual sex. lives are the ones who are the most jacked up? 
Like why? Why would I? Why am I going to take advice from you on this? Because there's obviously something jacked up in your system. You know, it's a useless system. So my last question: When? So when or what? When did you start having the kind of sex that you wanted to have? What led to that to happen? Oh, that's a good question. Ha. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like. I I, I feel like. In my marriage, you know, I, yeah. I, I enjoy, I obviously, I, I, you know, I enjoy the sex life I have with my wife. What's weird is just to be honest with you, I still kind of feel like, and this is weird. And this is just maybe something I have to, you know, I have to work through this, mm. but I still, for some reason, there's still something inside of me. That's like, dude, you missed out. Whoa. You know, missed out because basically like in my worst moments, okay, in my low, in my worst moments, we all have them. <laughs> I think about the fact that like from 18 years old to, you know, 25, when I got married, I was all about like, I have to be super, super duper, holy, pure, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. And, and so now like 29 and married on the other side of that. It's sometimes I feel like, man, did I, you know, did I miss out on like being able to explore that aspect of my humanity or, or what? So, um, part of my healing process and getting to the point where I can like enjoy it has, has been just learning how to appreciate and be content with my past, my journey and my, and my present. You know, yeah. Uh, but but yeah, sometimes I still you know I still think about that, but it's it's useless to to think about that now, you know. So yeah, but yeah, thankfully you know I, my you know my wife and I have a wonderful relationship, and 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 yes, sexuality is something that's very important to us, and it's and it's a major way that we connect, and it's a priority in our relationship, and and we enjoy it. So that is what it is, but but. But there was a time where because of my past and what I feel like I didn't experience, that did keep me from enjoying and not appreciating what I had. You know, mm. even if even if that was brief. And I'm being super real with you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I appreciate it. Yeah. I guess, you know, I don't know. I can't. I can't really speak on that because my experience is, I guess, very, very different. But there, you know, there's something, and I was hoping we would get to this point, but, you know, how that there's something so beautiful when you do have somebody um, that you're able to be that vulnerable in front of um, mm. and still also have room for that spiritual factor where you're actually communing with one another. Mm. And um, not many people have true access to that. I know that sex is a spiritual thing, but Mm. um, unless you have uh, two people who are conduits, you know, for, uh, for God to enter, you know, you can't really experience that thing, that beautiful thing. Um, how lucky you guys are to be able to do that. That's amazing. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, for sure. And that's, that's something that I've, I've realized, um, progressively as, as, as we've, you know, grown in our marriage, we've only been married for four years. So we're, you know, we're that's brand right. new with this too. And it's, it's funny cause this, <laughs> this past Sunday, I just did, uh, my first sermon on marriage, uh, that I've ever done at the church. And wow. I, I told everybody that I'm like, we've been around for like three years now, you know, <laughs> and uh, this is the first marriage sermon I'm doing because quite frankly, like, I don't have any idea about what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> you know, I'm kind of just giving it a shot now. I feel like I've learned a few things, but we're still in the, in the early stages, but it's, can, it's, it's fun. Can I ask if you guys were virgins when you got married? Uh, we weren't actually. Okay. Yep. So purity yep. culture didn't get you like that. <laughs> oh no, it got me. It still got me. It still got me because um, a whole lot of guilt and shame yeah. about that stuff. So it got yeah. me. Yeah, it's, it wasn't a get out of jail free card. Like I, you know, I couldn't even. Oh yeah, I I, I became very miserable <laughs> because I, I, you know, crossed yeah. the line. I, I think it would be so cool to get another devotional from you um, where you where just to have an author talk about um, partnered relationships and mm. sex that is outside of purity culture. You know, yeah. like this is my partner. This is the person that I have married. And and this is how we see God manifest uh, herself, their self in mm you know, our sexual lives. I mean, just it, you, not even having to get too personal, but just talking about, you know, the, the, the features, the pieces of it. Um, yeah. and we just, we don't get that anywhere. There's I know. I know. <laughs> everything that we have is all purity culture based. It's all, okay. you know, give yourself, your, uh, give yourself, uh, a woman must give herself to her husband and, you know, and, and then it doesn't even talk about, uh, or even allow for the fact for there to be, um, same sex relationships and, and, and just focusing on, you know, the, the simple, you know, parts of it. I mean, I, if, if ever you feel like you have the voice enough to, to write mm -hmm. something like that, you know, let me know. Oh, no, well, thank you for sure. I mean, I, like I said, I'm, I'm working through those things now. So as I, as I jot down my thoughts and, and start clarifying, uh, uh, my message, I'll, I'll definitely reach out. I'd love to help contribute in that way. So. Yes. Danny, where can people find you on the internet? I know you have a, a podcast, um, yep. constantly so, posting videos. Yep. So, um, Heartway Church is the name of our church, heartwaychurch.com. Um, and if you go there, you'll find a link to our podcast. But you could just search Heartway Church on iTunes or uh, find us on Podbean. And uh, my my weekly messages are up there. And then aside from that, I hang out on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. And um, I usually put out content uh, every week, a couple of one-minute snippets of uh, of the sermon that people tend to enjoy. So uh, I'm not hard to, to get in touch with. So y'all can just find me on there. And, and I know. I reached out to you and you hit me right back. I was so excited. Yeah, I'm always, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm pretty accessible right now. I, you know, it's pretty easy to get in, uh, in touch with me unless you're weird. If you're weird and annoying, <laughs> I'm not going to write back to you. How do you, how do you have time? I mean, that's fair. How do you have time to, to, to do all of this, to, you know, constantly put yourself out there and, and, you know, share with people the things that you've discovered in the lead. How do you have time? 
Good question. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Good question. I really don't know. I just, you know, you, you kind of just make time for, for what you love. And, 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 and right now, I mean, both my wife and I are, are like totally invested in, in the pursuit of our dreams. And so Mm -hmm. we're, we're just going a hundred miles per hour. We don't have kids yet. So it's kind of, you know, in that department, I guess. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm doing it until I, and I'm going to keep doing it until I can't. Let's, <laughs> Let's hope it just you, if that doesn't happen. But, yeah, um, well, not in a bad way. I mean, yeah, sure. Danny, I've actually really enjoyed talking to you tonight. I yes. am mad that it took us so long to get to this point. It's I my know. fault, but um, okay. thanks for well, being I, willing I, I, to roll with it. Check out Danny's devotional, Above Every Name in the Apple Alongside, his podcast from the Heartway Church. I'm Crystal Cheatham, and you can find me everywhere as Crystal Cheatham or The Cheat on Instagram. Okay, bye!